editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. The, the full way through, but nevertheless, welcome to it, welcome to it. It is little after 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. Um, I again, like I said before, guys, I don't typically mind these these late starts on Thursday nights if it means we're starting late because of the go tonight. So that that doesn't bother me so much in these settings. But again, welcome you guys to our Thursday episode. Make sure that this camera is looking right. Welcome to our Thursday episode of the Talk That Talk Radio Show. I am your host Terrell Chatterbox Emerson in studio with my guy Matthew Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Thursday night, late night, historically one of our better shows as far as days of the week. Yeah, and I mean, I was doing some number punching earlier, and maybe I'll be able to give you the number in terms of whether it's statistically our best night as well. Let's see if we put up the numbers on Thursday nights. But if you guys are joining via Facebook Live, we appreciate you guys once again. If you guys would like to join our Facebook Live, you guys can do so at Talk That Talk Radio Show. And... Those same five words to kind of unlock a lot for you in terms of talk that talk radio show. You guys can type that exact same, uh, those exact same five words into Apple, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Instagram, and almost anywhere, and this show will pop up. The only thing that would be different is our Twitter. It is at talk that talk lv, and of course, this show is a byproduct of the talk that talk media company, which is heading in a direction. It's heading in a direction that looks like a good one. I love the direction. Like, we were talking about it earlier today. I'm really geeked for the next three-ish months. Most definitely. I'm excited. I'm I'm geared up. I'm, uh, I did so much. First of all, I just recorded episode 55 of the OD podcast. So shout out to Capri. Shout out to Mike. They actually just left the studio, as a matter of fact. Uh, shout out to both of them. Uh, episode is called Reporter Leaks. <laughs> I told some fun high school stories from... Just things in the, uh, of that nature. We talked about uh, the Draymond Green situation, and we talked about covering teams where you know fights happen in house, and how did that, how does that happen? So I told a couple stories. It was it was some reporter leaks in there, but again, like I said, it was all all in in good spirits. But we got a full world of sports to jump into, especially with a Las Vegas tie to it. Uh, we, we talked. Last week, oh good, we talked Monday, I think it was, not even last week, we talked Monday about how long it took this team to accumulate their first shutout. Didn't take very long this season. It took two games, actually, well, took two games in to do it, took one home game to do it. You just left the T-Mobile Arena from watching the Vegas Golden Knights beat the Chicago Blackhawks one to nothing. What did you take away from tonight's game? Well, fun fact on the shutout. Do you remember the last home shutout? <laughs> Is it Mark Andre Fleury? I don't remember who was in that, but do you remember the day? Oh, it was last year. No, I don't. Uh, it couldn't have been. It was last year. It couldn't have been. Uh, wait, was it last year? It was three, but they were all on the road last year. Yep, all on the road last year. I don't remember the date. April 11th, 2021. The last time Vegas pitched a shutout at home oh my God. to the Arizona Coyotes. And now you, but now we can update that, right? Yes, we can officially update that. They pitched a shutout tonight at home, 1 0, grabbed their fourth point of the year in the standings, 2 0 to start. I mean, you look around 
the Vegas roster, you can see there's subtle changes going on with this team from the Pete DeBoer reign to now Bruce Cassidy. Um, Bruce is very, I'll say more selective with his shot taking on offense. Pete DeBoer was a very high volume shot type of coach. He wanted the puck continuously flying to the net at all costs. Bruce Cassidy has a more of a, I almost call it a defensive system in play to where they're content with playing really good defense and kind of being more selective with the shots they do take. Hmm. Now, the score may have been one nothing tonight. In all honesty, we could have seen a 4-3, 5-2 type of hockey game, and there were chances galore all around tonight. And sometimes, you know, you, you get the, the pucks that just don't bounce your way. And... You know, I guess maybe there's a little bit of fear of that when it's the home opener. There's a lot of juice around the building. Um, a lot of pressure, really, I think, for Vegas on, coming into tonight. Um, but just with all the expectations around this team coming into tonight, you know, that's the first true look the fans have at this team. Not to mention they've already dubbed this season the golden era, correct? Golden age. Golden age. Cor- correct me. Excuse oh, me. Oh, yeah, no. It's all hashtags and everything, the golden age. Still a lot me. of pressure. <laughs> yeah, no. It's There's a lot of pressure. There's even more pressure when you re- if you take into account that um, I believe Kelly McCrimmon was the one that came out and said, or it was either Mc- Kelly McCrimmon or Bill Foley came out when the team was first assembled way back in year one and said, cup and six. We're on year six right now of the Vegas Golden Knights. And I'm not saying they're going to get to the cup because we're still only two games in. Um, If I had to nitpick an area that I would want Vegas to really hone in on, and Bruce Cassidy kind of kind of admitted to this area after the L.A. game. Um, it was brought up, is their power play opportunities. Right That's now, not something new for this team either. No, they have had they have continuously struggled on the power play. If you go back last year, I believe they ranked – 23rd or 25th in the league when it came to power play opportunities or converting power play chances I should say so they were bottom third of the league last year and even even after Tuesday's game sure they converted a power play they had four others that they didn't so they left the they left crypto.com one for five on the power play right tonight they were 0 and three so now you look one at a eight to start w- the year one for eight through the first two games on the power play that's going to probably be the area that I focus in quite a bit on with this team because if this team can find a way to convert their power play opportunities, this team is going to probably get to the next level. And it's one of those that we don't really worry too much about the goaltending because I think Logan Thompson's been pretty solid in net the first two games. He pitched a shutout tonight, and then even in that um, opener against LA, he had kind of a shaky third period, but he also had some help with it too. Now, obviously 1-0 tonight, you'd like to see the offense give him a little bit more goal insurance a little bit just to have a bit of a cushion. But, I mean, the saves that Logan Thompson was making tonight, he he took a beating tonight. Made uh, 27 of them. 27 saves, uh, drew a goalie interference penalty on Chicago. I mean, there was a few times that he took a hard drive to the net, ended up in the back of his net, and just got right back up and went back to work. So Logan Thompson's, I think, is going to be a pretty notable workhorse on this team, kind of night in and night out. It looks like that second uh, guy behind him is probably going to be Aiden Hill, would be my assumption. Um, how much we see Aiden Hill, 
right now I'd probably categorize it categorize it as like a eight two type of split. We'll see Logan Thompson for probably eight. Maybe you see Aiden Hill for two um, in any 10-game stretch, mainly just to give Logan Thompson some time to rest and recover. But I, I think if you're a Vegas Golden Knight fan, you walk away from tonight knowing, well, we, we've accomplished pretty decent goals already to start the year. We, we're 2-0 and to start. We've yep. grabbed four points in the, uh, in the division. Yep. We lead the division right now, 4-0, or uh, four points in that division. I don't mm-hmm. know the exact breakdown right now, but I'll tell you in a second because uh, I have it. But nonetheless, two and zero start, and now I mean this two and zero start, and and I get we play eighty two games in the regular season. If you see what's coming up for Vegas, though, the two and zero start is a big deal because that propels them into a fairly lengthy road trip. Now we're actually about to get into that right now, but before we do so, I'll actually want to touch on. A name that we've mentioned already early this year, and we finally get to do so in the regular season, right? Paul Cotter was a lot of the night's offense in the preseason, right? And and probably one of the feel-good stories of the preseason, especially with this team with so many questions, more hinging on the negative side of things. Can they do it? Can they be this? Can they be that? I think Paul Cotter injected a little bit of positivity into this franchise during the preseason. He gets his first NHL go tonight. How important, obviously, was it in this one-run game, or one-run game, in this one-goal game, I should say? Yeah, I mean, Paul Cotter is one of those guys, like you said, it's a feel-good type of guy. Uh, This is a guy that, for the majority of last year, spent in Henderson. He was kind of the, the... leading force for the Henderson Silver Knights. He was kind of one of those guys where, you know, he may be the the first guy called up or he may be the last cut on an NHL roster. Um, he was always kind of one of those guys teetering on that line. And even in the preseason, there was some talk around the uh, around uh, fans that they weren't sure if Paul Cotter was going to make the final cut. They thought, well, again, he's kind of one of those guys where you could put him in Henderson and he's going to be really good. We don't know how much playing time he's going to get with uh, the Golden Knight franchise. And he comes in, he scores the game's only goal, coincidentally, after he was serving a penalty. It was about 20 to 30 seconds after he had finished serving a penalty, he caught a two-on-one break with Riley Smith and put one right in the back of the net, the only one of the on the back of the net in the game. But, yeah, I mean, Paul Cotter is one of those guys that – if you, especially like the Vegas fans that have gone to those Silver Knights games, you know of Paul Cotter, you've seen Paul Cotter, and that's kind of one of those guys that you've seen kind of grow up here in the Valley to where you, you kind of like, it's almost like a, a proud parent type of moment for fans when they see Paul Cotter uh, scoring an NHL goal because, like we said, we, we've seen Paul Cotter and Henderson. We've seen him uh, shine with the, the Silver Knights, and the same can be said for Logan Thompson. Uh, before Logan Thompson kind of assumed the starting goalie duties for Vegas, he was the starting goalie and standout goalie for Henderson, uh, winning AHL goalie of the month like three or four months in a row. So, I mean, there's a lot of that Silver Knights blueprint kind of painted on the Golden Knights. We're going to actually get back to Paul Cotter in one second. You mentioned uh, Logan uh, Thompson, and I actually wanted to bring this up. A a dominant season from Logan Thompson. We understand that availability is the best ability, right? A a dominant season from Logan Thompson kind of guarantees that Robin Leonard will not be back in Golden Knight Gold, correct? If I had to characterize it, probably not. Um, 
I don't want to sit up here and say, you know, toot my own horn essentially, but if you if you remember from last year, one of my biggest things that I wanted this franchise to look into and pursue is moving Robin Leonard. Um, I didn't see him fitting with this team. I didn't really think the salary could justify the availability for Robin Leonard. Or production in certain moments. And I, I think the best opportunity to move Robin Leonard was probably when Seattle got their expansion franchise. That's what I said. I said you could give Robin Leonard to Seattle. You know, Seattle's. we know Seattle's got more than enough cap space to absorb it. And in return, you could probably get some of your draft capital that you've had to give up through trades and whatnot to get a guy like Jack Eichel. You had to give up quite a bit of trade va- or trade assets to bring in a guy like Jack Eichel. So you can essentially get some of that back and, in a sense, kind of relinquish kind of the dead weight of the team in a sense of financially and also a roster spot. It frees the roster spot up to where now you can have a, a pretty decent two- goalie tandem of uh, Logan Thompson and uh, Laurent Brassois, however you want to, you know, sort them is kind of, you know, in the eye of the beholder, I should say. But I I think Aiden Hill's probably going to be the number one guy in Henderson. Um, I think it's more so just a temporary thing. I don't believe we've had much of a timeline on Laurent Brassois as far as when he's going to be available for this team. I'll check again right now. Um, It's kind of been pretty hush-hush around the franchise when it comes to Laurent Brassois and that injury. Um, To the best of my knowledge, it's probably something fairly lengthy in time to where I would probably say maybe a little bit north of halfway of the season. But again, I mean, it's one of those... if, If people that follow hockey, they understand this when it comes to injuries. They are very non-descriptive in injuries and even more so non-descriptive in timetable um they give very right this is almost impossible to find yeah they get they give you a lot of times it's you know upper body injury day-to-day well we've seen upper body injuries be day-to-day and that day-to-day is closer to three to four weeks so i mean that's a long time to be considered day-to-day right and all the meanwhile we have no idea i mean upper body injury start from the waist up essentially (laughs) i was gonna say that could be a hip flexor yeah that could be a a a strained lat that could be who knows exactly what that could be uh but okay so let's get back to paul cotter because you were saying a lot of people weren't really weren't really uh sure whether they were going to be able to see him on the go tonight roster however he only got a little over 12 minutes and 15 seconds on ice. I think it was 12:19 was the uh, total time. But in that short 12 minutes, he was able to get off two shots, one of which actually lit the lamp. He did come in second on the team in terms of hits right behind Keegan Colasar. He had four hits in 12 minutes. Yeah, Paul Carter is a guy that um, kind of takes up residency on that fourth line. Coincidentally enough, that fourth line has started both games this year for Vegas um, when the puck is dropped. And the best that I can figure out, and it may be a question if somebody already hasn't asked Bruce, maybe a question worth asking Bruce Cassidy, is that fourth line more of a tone setter for the game? Is that Could that be a way of setting a tone by sending out the fourth line when traditionally teams would send out their top lines to start the game? Bruce Cassidy sending out the fourth line. And, I mean, historically with this team, the fourth line has always... I've always considered it to be the grinder line of mm-hmm. the, of the team because 
It's not the flashiest line. It's not going to be the one that scores you the most goals. It's really, truly a defensive line. And it's got pretty decent defensemen with forwards that are defensive-like. And they're not really focused on scoring first. They're more so of just, you know, coming in and and sending a little bit of reinforcement. If you remember um, back a couple years ago, Ryan Reeves made a historical um, living on that fourth line for Vegas Indeed. as kind of the reinforcer of the team. And and that's kind of the identity, you know, throughout these years with Vegas when it comes to their fourth line is it's always been the grinded out type of line where they're not going to be the flashiest like the top line is with Jack Eichel and Riley Smith. It's not always going to be the, you know, the misfit line, if you will, or the, what's ever left of the misfit line with right. Jonathan Marshall so and uh, William Carlson. And the third line is kind of one of those that, I mean, you, you could have a Mark Stone in there, um, misfit in a sense, but not to the degree that the second line was. It, it's kind of a miscellaneous group, that third line, as far as you have some offense, you have a little bit of defense, and then that fourth line is really truly your defensive line, I think, for Vegas. And so, again, it may it may be worth asking Bruce Cassidy if it's more of a tone setter you're trying to go for uh, by sending out your fourth line to start the game um, would be my guess. But, I mean, we, we've seen, you know, coaches make different decisions on different things. And so, um, yeah, I mean, Paul Cotter taking up pretty – Decent residency on that fourth line. And another guy that I thought may, like we said, we may see in Henderson, especially after the news came out that Nick Haig had signed a three-year extension uh, the day before the season starts. Right. But, of course, Nick Haig dealing with issues as well. Uh, Really quick. Mm -hmm. uh, No, all good. Uh, Paul Cotter, in case anybody wanted to know at home, of course, is the youngest player on the Go Tonight roster. Birthday is three days before mine. November 16th, 1999. He is 22 years old. Ooh, just old enough to drink. Okay, good. What were you doing at 22? Drinking. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that, that's pretty pretty. That's that's, pretty, pretty that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, one of those days at 22, I was drinking, I promise you. Uh, Two-game road trip coming up. Headed to Seattle first and then Calgary. Uh, this Seattle game is going to be a good measuring stick game early in the year, right? I feel like we use that term far too much. But – you just talked about it earlier. They're 2-0 and on the year. They have four points. Seattle is right behind them at three points, and then you have three tied behind them at two. Everybody else in the division has big fat donut. Vegas leaves the division. <laughs> it is October. Uh, it is October for whatever it's worth. So we're going to move on. And, again, like I said, guys, if you guys are just joining, we appreciate you guys for watching the Talk That Talk radio show. We thank you guys for, for tuning in, for chiming in. Uh, for reacting. We appreciate you guys once again. And we're going to, again, we're going to try to get as close to, to 12 o'clock as we can with this with this show. Uh, Matt just actually got back in the building from covering the Vegas Golden Knights. Their 1-0 victory over the Chicago Blackhawks, which opens up play from the T-Mobile Arena. Now they're back to the road. Right back to the road to start the year. Or early in the year, I should say. Uh, speaking of another road game, the Raiders just had their final road game, their final game, before their bye week. Another close loss, another one-possession loss. This team lost 30-29 to on Monday Night Football to the Kansas City Chiefs. All four of their losses are by a combined 14 points. One-possession losses. I mean, it's kind of been the story of the year so far for this Raider team is close but no cigar. And... 
I'll be the first to admit I wasn't a big fan of Josh McDaniels going for two instead of kicking a, a point after. I wasn't. I thought it was. I I I probably characterize it as I understand the move. I don't understand it given the circumstances the Raiders were in at the point, knowing that they're coming into the game one and three. We talk about it a lot where your record kind of can have an impact on how you look at the season. It should dictate your decision-making. It doesn't for Brandon Staley, but that's another story. Yeah, we, we're gonna try and get to twelve o'clock. If I go off on Brandon Staley, I know we're not gonna get, we're gonna <laughs> fly right over twelve o'clock. Uh, so I'm gonna leave that be. But when it comes to Josh McDaniels, it very it felt like a very Brandon Staley esque type of move. It didn't make a ton of sense because if you get the two point conversion, great, you're up thirty one thirty. Kansas City can still beat you with a field goal. If you just kick the point, it's thirty to thirty. You're forcing Kansas City to do something. They have to score to beat you. Now, up until that point, Josh McDaniels could make the argument, great, up until that point, Kansas City had five straight scoring drives on our defense. I agree. So if you're looking at it from that angle, yes. But to me, what was there to gain for the Raiders wasn't all that great comparatively to what they had to lose. Because if they didn't get the two-point conversion – now, all of a sudden, you're giving Kansas City the ball back. You may not see the ball again the rest of the game if, Kansas City, if Kansas City controls the clock accordingly. And they were fortunate enough to get the football back on the final drive. And even that final drive, it felt very disjointed. It didn't feel quite right. You had the, the Devontae Adams catch, no catch. Right. And then, you know, kind of the reluctancy to run Josh Jacobs on third and fourth down both one-yard-to-go situations where all you need is a yard. You have timeouts in your back pocket to where if the clock's running low, you can burn a timeout and still save a timeout in a sense if you need to run on Daniel Carlson for a game winner. And so a lot of that decision, up until that point, I thought Josh McDaniels coached a phenomenal game. I thought his game plan was great to use Josh Jacobs a lot in that game to really let him be that workhorse that he was against Denver. But... I think I think Josh McDaniels has learned something about Josh Jacobs. I think we kind of said it's a start. Like we thought, or at least some people thought, like Josh might be on the move. I was like, I don't know if Josh is going to be on the move. Like Josh, this may be a breakout year in a sense for Josh Jacobs. And so far, I mean, the usage he's gotten has been very productive. And I, it was one of those that like you, the Raiders got up seventeen to nothing. It didn't feel like they were up 17 to nothing. It just felt like something was about to happen where when you're, you know, you go back to the Arizona game, you're up 20 to nothing in the second half and you blow that lead. And I was at that game. And that's the issue that we need to get to because if you can start feeling that, start to radiate through the television. Yeah. That even up 17 nothing, you look at the game and a lot of people may say, oh, that's because it's Patrick Mahomes on the other side. I was in that building for Arizona. The Raiders were up, and everybody was looking around at halftime and was like, mm, that's three scores. That can happen. Are you telling me that this Raider team can be forced to punt three straight times? I believe it. I've seen it. Or maybe two times and throw a turnover somewhere in there. I've seen it. Yeah. So it appears this is where it does get a little 
uneasy, it does appear that even when this Raider team does have a big lead, nobody has confidence in them. And I think that is there there is something to be said about that. Yeah, there's a, definitely a lot to be said about it because it's it, it's demoralizing to the team and the team morale, knowing that you can't close out games. And, I mean, this team is, <laughs> in a sense, they're kind of like UNLV football from last year. They pitched out. They pitched great three quarters. The first three quarters are phenomenal for this team. They get to the fourth quarter and they implode on sight. And now all of a sudden, you're looking at a one and four Raider team going into a bye week. I, I mean, I kind of alluded to it to start. If you go to overtime and you win that game, two and three looks a whole lot different than one and four. And there's a whole different perspective at two and three, given what you have coming up for the Raiders after the bye week comparatively to one and four and I mean I, I kind of said it on the spot when Josh decided to go for two instead of kicking the extra point I I kind of you know told a friend I was like look if the Raiders don't get the football back or the Raiders lose by a point that is a fireball offense for Josh McDaniels in my eyes because you can't deliberately take a chance away from your team at winning the game not when you're at this point when no. you're one and three I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I disagree with you. I didn't like the call. No. I didn't like the call. Um, the only issue is Josh McDaniels is, has been in every single game. And that's where I can only harp on him so much, I feel like, because he's kept his team in those games. That Arizona game. I don't know. I that one is the outlier for me. I don't know what the, I again, I was there and I don't know what the hell I witnessed even to this day. So, it, it's kind of hard to put um to kind of wrap your head around it. However, you spoke a little bit about just things not going this team's way. And again, I just got through shooting episode 55 of the OD and we discussed Devontae. I think we actually opened the podcast with Devontae Adams and I open it up by saying at the end of the day, you learn a lot more about a person when things aren't going their way. And we have never seen Devontae Adams in a losing situation in his professional career. Until now. Five weeks into this season, I think we could look to three different issues where we could say Devontae showed us that he was unhappy. After the Raiders started 0-2, and he tweeted, or he put on Instagram, um... Stand firm in the decisions you make, whatever the case may be. Like, you knew it wasn't going to be easy, something like that. After the team started 0-3, he said he was upset, as he should as he should be. He followed it up by saying, uh, I don't know, but something's got to change. Now you fast forward to week five, and now you have the pushing of a cameraman. And that's just, for me, trying to be as unbiased as I know how. I mean, you guys know I'm a Devontae Adams fan, but trying to be as unbiased as I can, that's three situations in the first five weeks of a losing season that Devontae Adams never showed in his several years as a Green Bay Packer at any point. Yeah, I mean, the the cameraman uh, situation, to me, I think that's unexcusable. At the end, no matter how you slice it and divide it up, if you're Devontae Adams, you can't have that. You You can't do that. I get that you just lost on the road by a point. Think about the situation. 
I don't think the cameraman deliberately tried to get in Devontae Adams' way. To be honest, I don't even think he realized Devontae Adams was there. He didn't. My I don't even think he, he realized that was the Raiders' locker or tunnel to the, lo- the locker room. What I think probably happened is the cameraman probably had his boss in one ear chewing him out because he probably wasn't in the right spot, and so he's dashing trying to get to the right spot. And that's, I mean, I can I can tell you if, if it's live sports, like it's just one of those, if you got that ass chewing going on in your ear, that's all you are focused on. You're not worried about what's around Indeed. you. You're worried about getting from point A to point B in the quickest time possible at all costs. Now, again, it just so happened, Devontae Adams was walking that direction around the same time. The timing, if the cameraman is a second later, he walks right past or right behind Devontae Adams, and it's no problem. Yep. If he's there a second earlier, Devontae doesn't even get to him in time, and again, it's no problem. It's one of those, it was really just kind of coincidental timing, and it was a bad reaction from Devontae Adams. Like, at the end of the day, you know the cameras are on you. You can't have that be the image. I'm at a loss for words. I'm at a loss. And again, like I, I, I just said on the, on the podcast, I believe I've been – like shoulder to shoulder with Devontae Adams to where I could speak to him maybe five times. And I've never spoken to Devontae Adams personally, like one-on-one. I've, I don't get that vibe from him. I don't. And not saying that people can't be, you know what I mean? Can't, can't fool you, but he just doesn't strike me as, he doesn't strike me as an angry guy. And in these first five weeks of the season, Devontae Adams does not look like a happy camper. No, I, I, well, to a certain degree, I I don't blame them. Like I think we would be a little more concerned if he if he was a happy camper, looking at a one and four record. Um, but I mean, it is at the end of the day, it kind of we've gotten here, however we've gotten here at one and four for the Raiders, and so I mean, it's been bad breaks. You could look at that second half and say it kind of was a tale of the first half especially when it came to officiating i thought the officiating was it, the raiders were playing the officiating at that point they were no they were playing like 11 on 15 with the officials uh, in that second half because i mean let's be honest a defensive holding on a kick i mean i i also think that the that the chiefs have something to say about that rough in the passer call that was clearly a fumble i the nfl is in shambles right now you know what's funny the nfl absolutely <laughs> crumbles shout out to dan snyder and i never would shout out dan snyder for saying that he, he has something that could he's crumble been, the nfl he's been in the headlines by the way fam do i think he has something that could crumble the nfl no do i think he has something that the nfl does not want us to know yes probably like yes i think that those are all things that are true at the end of the day, I don't think that the whistle is going to be blown, but the NFL has been in shambles since that concussion situation with Tua. Yeah. Now they're trying to protect quarterbacks. Now they're miss. Now they're going back on calls. They're forgetting their own rule book. I think this is just a prime example that goes to show when you slightly blow the whistle on a situation that is wrong. We know that the NFL. First of all, I've said this already. If in the aftermath of Tua's concussion, if in the first week after that concussion, four players leave games and don't return with concussions, how do you guys expect me to believe that there has been 12 weeks of consecutive football played and nobody's had a concussion? Call that sweeping it under the rug. Call it lying. 
Yeah, that too, yeah. I mean, if you want to be pretty blunt about it, then yeah, it's, it's it's definitely lying. But my biggest pet peeve of that game was the makeup calls. Like if you there. if you get a call wrong as an official, just understand that it's a wrong call. Move on and limit that. Don't try and sit here in the second half and call because after the roughing the passer call, there were seven straight penalties called on the Raiders. Seven, without a single penalty called on the Chiefs. It, That's they an were, ugly number to look at. I mean. It, at least five of those were makeup calls that they were just like, well, it's close. We'll give it to the Chiefs. Um, I, I'll say the roughing the passer was a bad call. Was it a game-altering call? No. Mm, Could have been. I don't think it was. I think what was more so a game-altering call was holding on that field goal, or defensive holding on the field goal. Because the field that goal— That did change everything. The field goal was missed. If there's no flag, the Raiders get the ball back with holding Kansas City to zero points. Instead, Kansas City gets an automatic first down. They go down and they score a touchdown. That's a seven-point swing on one call. For whatever it's worth, can we also just highlight that Travis Kelsey is not human? Weirdest stat line, by the way, for Travis Kelsey. Is the ugliest stat Seven catches for 25 yards, but four touchdown catches. That's like the definition of a red zone target. For whatever it's worth, I was playing Madden earlier today, and nobody cares about me playing Madden, right? But I'm going to tell that story anyway. I was playing with the L.A. Rams, and Daryl Henderson Jr. touched the ball seven times for 45 yards, but he had three touchdowns. Oh, yeah. That's I tough. only use him at the goal line. Yeah. <laughs> like, I only use him at the goal line pretty much. So, yeah, yeah, he's touched the ball seven times, and he has three touchdowns. That's what happens. Uh, but no, Travis Kelsey set a new record, a new Chiefs tight end record. First of all, with four touchdowns, but he also set a Monday Night Football record with four touchdowns. Uh, again, he just continues to be a Raider killer. I don't. We talk about these rivalries and teams being excited to see divisional uh, opponents. <laughs> Travis Kelsey loves to see the silver and black on the other side. It's always Travis Kelsey. It, it's it seems like it's only him. <laughs> it, it, if yeah. nothing else goes right, even for him, it appears that. Travis Kelsey is who ends up beating the Raiders. Uh, but he beat them into a bye week for whatever it's worth. The Raiders are 1-4. and four. I also said uh, – I think I actually said it on the um, on my retweet of the story uh, that the Raiders limp into the bye week at 1-4. and four. They lost Darren Waller in the game. They had just got Hunter Renfro back in action. I believe Denzel Perryman left the game with an injury. Just injuries galore. We know that they're going to happen in, in football, but it appears that the Raiders are having them at very key positions at very inopportune times. So, again, this is more for us to pay attention to, but anytime you're penalized 11 times for 99 yards, probably not going to win that game. Uh, anything else? Oh, uh, Thursday night football is really bad. I'm to- I told you all before the game, Al Michaels and Kirk Kerfee deserve better than this. I, so, I've been wanting to do this for the longest. And... I've been wanting to predict the tie in our Pick'em League for the longest. I was feeling a little risky earlier, and I sent it and said I, I low-key want to go for a tie. And I was just like, nah, we've already had one this year. Have we had two? Just At least one. one. Just one, I think. I think, we have, I think we've had only one. So we got that one, but I wasn't sure if we was going to get another one this early, right? Right before the game started, maybe 30, 40 minutes before the game started, I was like, all right, give me Washington, I guess. Uh, 
if I have to pick one of these two teams. These two teams stink. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Thursday night, I, I don't care to watch bad football. And I've told you this. I told you guys this before. This is why, to me, basketball is the greatest sport on earth. Because yeah, you watch bad basketball sometimes, but I think there's even degrees to bad basketball. And bad basketball is sometimes bearable. Bad football is unbearable to watch. Especially when it's bad football on both sides. If the NFL doesn't move up their scheduled date where they can rearrange games based on records, they need to do it now. Start right now. I don't care if you think you have a Thursday night game coming up. If you stink, you're not playing on Thursday night. You get a 10 o'clock game Sunday so nobody can watch you like the rest of us. Almost, I, I kind of have an interesting idea. Let UNLV play in st- – oh, never mind. What? You really – man, okay. That that was harsh. I mean, UNLV's 4-2. You think the Rebels you, can no, – UNLV, UNLV's better than both of these teams on the record. You think the Rebels can pick off Justin Fields? Yes. <laughs> I can pick off Justin Fields, and I haven't played organized football in a while. But I have a, I have a question oh, for you. Oh, man, that was great. I love radio. So you have to pick one of these three to watch. I don't want to do it because I know Oakland Athletic Baseball is in there. But keep going. No, it's not. Oh, okay. I like it already. Keep going. So you you have to watch this game. You have to watch a NASCAR race with no wrecks. So all they do is go around. <laughs> so that's the second option. Wait, what was the first one? This game. This one? Okay, I'm not watching this. Um, And the third option would be... Think of any bad baseball game. Okay, I was going to say, please don't be around to golf. Um, I almost went with that, but that might be the fourth option, actually. I'm with it because it, I'm taking golf any all day if it's the third round or later. Nope. If it's the be, first two rounds. It has to be, has to be the first I'm round. I'm out. I'm out. I do not want to watch this because golf. Um, I'm probably, if I'm going to take those three, not including the baseball one, I'm probably going to go the NASCAR race. You said it's first round golf. First round. Golf. I'm not watching that. Okay. I'm not doing. I'm not doing first round golf. I'm off that. I'm off that. Yeah, I'm not watching this game either. NASCAR it is. NASCAR it is. By the way, the media company is going to be out at NASCAR this weekend. Shout out to you. Go ahead and plug exactly what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, got the uh, got the okay from NASCAR to cover this weekend's playoff race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, I'll be. Out there, you know, snapping some photos, probably doing some live tweet updates during the races. I'm geeked for this, man. When is this? Uh, this weekend. When this weekend? Um, they have some stuff going on. I think tomorrow. Um, I think they have a race on Saturday and one on Sunday. There's a bye week this week. Matt, I may have to talk to you, man, because this seems like an outing that I may want to kind of participate with. Maybe I might need to see if you can reach out to one of those people and see if you can uh, see if you can uh, have them bless me with something. I wouldn't mind going. I'm not going to hold you. It would be interesting. Like We might be outside on Sunday. Like outside, like, outside of... I haven't been to a race since I was like nine, bro. Outside of hockey, this is like the second sport for me that gets me geeked. Like... I'm like, yo. 
I think what's interesting about NASCAR is, first of all, like you just said before, it's a sport that is exhilarating, like majority of the rest of them. However, a lot of people don't understand the small details that go into NASCAR, but because of that too, a lot of the small beefs that kind of happen within NASCAR too. We talk about it a lot. If you want to get into the beef of sports, a lot of it takes place on those tracks. So. Yep. I'm excited for you this weekend. You talked about it before. Um, I'm beyond geeked for you, even if I'm not there this weekend. I want to be sure before I tell you to ask for me. But even if I'm not there this weekend, I know that this is something that you've kind of been looking at all year long. So the fact that it's finally here, it seemed like we, we talked about it in April or March, and now you look up and it's here. So this is an opportunity not only for the media company, but it's an opportunity for Vegas, right? Opportunity for Vegas to come outside and uh, add credence to what LeBron said about the best fans in sports right it's also another reason to make sure you're following talk that talk on twitter talk about it see i like that i like that answer um speaking of here this weekend it's homecoming weekend for us yeah and i'm gonna be honest with you i think i'm outside after the game on saturday i think because why not it's homecoming weekend. As alum, I've never really stepped outside on homecoming, like homecoming week, really. Uh, once you, once you um, graduate, I feel like a lot of people forget about homecoming, and I feel like as as alum, we should experience it at least once. I didn't really do it this time around, but I think I can convince myself into going out after the game on Saturday. But in case you guys are unfamiliar which game i'm talking about i'm talking about unlv's homecoming game against air force that does take place this saturday at 7 30 p.m that takes place uh in case you need the date it will be october 15th from Allegiant stadium i'll be there i'll be honest i'll be there expecting an upset and i don't know if it's still considered an upset considering unlv has four wins through his first six games of the year but i told you guys this one was coming earlier in the year i think unlv gets air force no, no, it's definitely an upset. At, at least Vegas thinks it views it as an upset if it happens. Um, I, I'm pretty sure UNLV might be still considered a double-digit underdog in this game. Yeah, double digits, more than ten. You're lying. I'm pre unless there's been. I'm gonna go find. I it. gotta look this up right now. Actually, I was a little shocked because the the last number I saw was twelve. I said, how many points? Now. Let's be honest. I didn't expect this team to uh, lose to San Jose State. So I absolutely need them to come through on one of these wins. Ten and points. It's it, their favorite. Ten. I'm sorry, they're underdogs by 10. Yes, to Air Force. Air Force is 10-point favorites. A little disrespectful if you ask me. Keep going. I'm, I'm going to try to find something to defend this really quick. Um, now... I'm guessing that this is this line is if Cameron Friel is playing. I can't imagine it's staying the same if Doug Brumfield is the starter. You just brought up an interesting point. This team is four and two on a year. However, I was trying to see how many games they've won by double digits. Three of their four wins have come by double digits. So for Air, for Air Force, yes, they have a win by what is this? Thirty-one, two wins by thirty-one, and a win by thirty-eight. They beat Navy by three. We talked about that game before year two. That's right. And so, look, I think the blueprint's pretty simple for UNLV if they want to win this game. Um, I think it starts defensively. You, If you're UNLV, the run defense has to be there all night. You have to contain Air Force's run 
uh, running attack and make them pass the ball. Make them throw the ball. Like, if, if Air Force is going to beat you through the air, then so be it. They beat you in the air. Don't let it be on the ground where they have made a living at on offense. I mean, especially Air, against you. Oh no, that that's for sure. And I mean, if you're UNLV's defense, you know that Air Force runs about four plays. The entire playbook <laughs> is four plays on offense, and they can't stop it. <laughs> One of their big plays is option. Oh, so man. you know it's either the quarterback going to be running. Maybe it's a fullback or it's the running back. Somebody's running the ball. It's so frustrating because I, <laughs> I'm sure Marcus Arroyo and everybody else would be very upset that we're laughing right now because I'm sure they're like, how do you stop it? That's the funny part. I don't know, but I don't pay, get paid to do I it. I was going to say, y'all are paid <laughs> to stop the to win games. To oh, stop man. The other team. I shouldn't be crying right now. But, I mean – if anything, I will say UNLV's defense, the one area that I'm a little concerned with and have been is the run defense. Their run defense has been on the softer end of things when it comes to UNLV's defense. They definitely can't hold running quarterbacks. No, which may not bode well. Um, and if you look at that, like especially that North Texas game, mm-hmm. North Texas ran the ball all over UNLV. That New Mexico game was... UNLV didn't cover that New Mexico game because they couldn't stop the run early. Went over. Yeah, well, I mean, well, I got my, I got my by, win in one by, area. By a miracle, but yes. It I tell you all the time, I take my small wins in life. Sometimes you just got to appreciate your wins where you can get them. Uh, we, we, can, we can finish this UNLV talk if you want to, but I just have a random thing, random question while I'm looking at the schedule. How much is Fresno State losing by, San, losing by to San Jose State? Does Fresno have their quarterback yet? I have no idea what the hell is going on with Fresno State. Because that, that's the last I heard on Fresno is the biggest reason they are struggling is because they lost their starting QB. Is he coming back? I, I will continue to look. <clears throat> if he doesn't come back, San Jose wins that game by at least a touchdown. People are still questioning whether they'll have him, but – doesn't look as if they're expecting to have him. By the way, is there any update on Doug, or is he still questionable? Doug Brumfield. I haven't heard anything personally. Let me go ahead and look. Day to day. So he may be literally a game time decision. Uh, it, not something like that, but I know a little bit about Doug, and if Doug is day to day today, Doug is playing Saturday. Whether Doug is healthy. Is another thing. But if Doug is day-to-day today, Doug is playing on Saturday. Interesting. Free game, guys. Free game. Uh, UNLV is 4-2 and two on a year. They did just come off of their first conference loss. They're 2-1 following that loss to San Jose State, who now lead the division. They are 4-1 on a year. UNLV is right behind 4-2. and two. San Diego State trails at 3-3. Three and three. And then we got Fresno State, 1-4. So much for Fresno being the favorite of the division, right? Or favorite of the conference. I, I don't know. Speaking of favorite of the conference, the Lady Rebels are the favorites. Yeah. Is this finally a little bit of respect coming in? I mean, who's second in the conference? Uh, who cares at this point? Well, whoever's second, they got two first place votes. Whoever those two are, come on now. Come on. Let me see if I can find come this. Come on now. 
Like how bad? How bad did Vegas beat you up? Like did did you lose a lot of money while you were here in Vegas, and that's why you you're reluctant to give UNLV the first place votes? New is, Mexico, is New that, Mexico got it. Come on now, <laughs> come on. What how? What what if how bad did Vegas hurt you? Like when you like I said, was it something that bad trip here to Vegas? Uh, you lose a lot of money while you're here. Like what happened? When you realize Lindy LaRock is entering her third season as head coach of the Lady Rebels, Lady Re- excuse me of the Lady Rebels. I don't know, man. I, I got I got a lot of ideas in terms of where this team is going. And I think we're going to get a lot of good content out of it. I do. I think so. I mean, <clears throat> I think I may have told you maybe it was two months ago. What? That I took a peek at their roster and said, oh, no, they're running this back legit. Like, they're actually running this back. I know a lot of people only have them, well, based on this preseason poll, they're the fourth in the conference. I said it since last year. I watched Essence Booker and, and Lindy LaRock have words. It went in a negative way, but I watched them have a conversation following both games against Wyoming. That's a series that I have very, very close eyes to. I, I always said I wasn't going to Wyoming, right? I don't know, man. Well, I, you already know what the series is for me that I have circled. Big circle around the series. By the way, they're eighth. Ooh. I'm guessing you're talking about Air Force. I don't know how the yeah. coach of the year is sitting in eighth. But, yeah, you know. I mean, Air Force is one of those I looked down and I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> Let me go see when these two games are. See if I can go find these two games really quick before we move on to some I other ho- topics. I hope it's two games against Air Force. Pretty sure it's two. Especially one of them being. It's one. Is it here? It's one and it's at Air Force February 4th. No, no, no. Mount, you disrespectful. Mountain I'm West. telling you You something. disrespectful, Mountain West. <laughs> we be, you know, we beat the brakes down off of Air Force. At least oh, give man. them the home game. Oh, man. I need to go I need to go tell you guys those, um, those final scores from last year's Air Force team. Uh, let's go ahead and go to the first one. 83 to 67 in favor of UNLV. That game came on the road, by the way. We remember the home game. Their home game, seventy-two to fifty-four. They also met in the Mountain West Championship semifinal. Eleven-point win for UNLV. Three double-digit wins in one year, and and sure, UNLV still going on the road to Air Force. See you back at the academy. Make it make. No, no, no. This is like if me and my brother are playing Xbox. I'm home. Yeah, if I beat, <laughs> if I beat you, you better believe I have home field. Hey, that's a great point. Because you I get mad you. when the person go to the home side. Yo, what are you doing? I beat you. Like, Damn, <laughs> if you don't move. Oh, man, that's hilarious. Yeah. God is great. That's funny. We all lived the same childhood growing up. Yeah. Uh, Where are we at? Oh, man, baseball talk. Baseball talk and we can get out of here. So, again, I, 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 again, we just shot a pot. And so that means I've been talking since like 650, which is unbelievable. God bless you, Jesus. <sighs> This is what happens. But I told everybody when we were shooting the pod, too, like, let's just do it on Thursday. So Thursday is my shoot day. Let me just shoot everything and be done for the weekend. Yeah. I mean, even, like, for this show, I was thinking about it. I was like, I mean, we got the Vegas game in there. Could do it Friday, but it's kind of, no, let's just do it Thursday. Let's just get it done with Thursday. Try Because tomorrow I don't have a game to cover in person. So I still got some other work that I need to do. Probably have some meetings. I was about to say. What were you about to say? I was about to say day off. 
I'm going to take it as a day off. I'm going to take it as a day off. Not entirely. I'm going to take it as a day off because I, I embrace those days with no actual game to cover. So um, I will be doing some work. But I believe I'll be able to go out and catch some high school football tomorrow. Hey. So I'm excited for hey. that. Just to be able to, to sit and watch football just from a standpoint of being a fan. So I'm kind of excited for that. It's been a hot minute since I've been to a high school football game. I'm excited. I'm excited. It definitely uh, conjures up some feelings that I'll admit I haven't had since probably covering high school football in high school. And different atmosphere, that's for sure. And that's what's so weird. Football has to be a great sport because, as you said before, high school football has a feel. College football has a feel. Pro football has a feel. There's just a, a different feel about all of them. So, Have you been to a Liberty game, by the way? New York Liberty or oh Liberty High School? Yeah, no, it's a party. Should I? You should. I gotta go. I it's gotta a see. It's about. a party. I gotta see what it's about. I know. And I know. In, back in L.A., back home, that's something that I used to kind of do frequently. Like back in high school, if we had the opportunity to go to a, uh, not even a rival school, but just a different high school's uh, Friday Night Lights, it was always an opportunity to go have fun, right? So yeah, no. I mean, Liberty being the alma mater, that's a party. That's the one. That's a party. I gotta go see what it's about. Oh yeah. Gotta go see what it's about. I gotta go take some friends and go see what these high school football games are about. Um, <clears throat> pardon. We're gonna shift over to baseball really quick. We probably we have forty minutes left in an hour. I don't think this will take forty minutes, but what's left on the show is slated for forty minutes. So we'll see how it how it shakes out. Uh, I'm actually gonna start with some unfortunate news. Uh, just in terms of rehashing this, however, the news is good, and if you um expected and wanted this outcome but former angels employee eric k was sentenced to 22 years in the tyler skaggs case uh in case you were following this this case closely the way that i kind of was and 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 i will admit i did kind of taper off in certain moments just forgetting however this case is another reason first of all why i, I can't i can't do the angels I don't think I can do it anymore. And I know I joke a lot about what this team does. This has nothing to do with sports. That's why this is the bigger issue that I have with this team. Now, if you guys were following this case, Eric K, <clears throat> excuse me, Eric K's charges, I believe he's actually charged with being the guy who supplied Tyler Skaggs with the pills. His minimum sentence was 20 years. Do you know what he got the additional two years from? Mm -mm. So, when I spoke about Brett Favre a little while back, and I said, I just don't know why people do certain things with telephones. But Eric K made a phone call from prison to his mom in which the judge gave him two additional years for showing little to no remorse for the situation. This is radio, so I can get away with saying some of it. And even still, there's two quotes that really stand out to me. I'm not even saying one. Radio or not, I'm just not saying it. The second one, I'm already a little uncomfortable saying it. However, he said that the family only sees dollar signs. He may have followed that up by saying, good for them. They'll get more with him dead 
than he than they ever would have with him alive because he sucked. Do I think Eric K regrets it now? No. Do I think Eric K regrets it knowing that those two years are added to his sentence? No. no. I think when Eric K gets to year 20 of his sentence, he might. He'll regret it then. I don't know how stupid you can be. Meanwhile, here I am. Regardless, I'm not saying that Eric K is innocent. Here I am pissed off that people are letting the Los Angeles Angels off the hook because everybody's mad at Eric K. Eric K worked for an organization that clearly had no issue supplying their team with drugs. The Angels should be forced to move. Everything I said about Houston with the Deshaun Watson situation, there's a body in this case. If they told me, how many, how many baseball teams is it? 31, 30? What is it? I think it's 30. If they told me it was 29 baseball teams today, I would say, are the Angels gone? If they told me we got a new team in Canada, is it the Angels? I hate to say it, but that they don't deserve a team anymore. They don't. Sad to say, I think there's more people in the organization that feel just like Eric You know, I mean, I think the, honestly, the best way I can sum it up when it comes to an organizational perspective for the Angels. They, they suck. Yes. Thank you for pointing out the obvious. More so to the point, they need kind of what the Clippers went through. They need a complete house cleaning of everybody. And, I mean, if you go back and, I mean, a handful of years ago, the Clippers were on thin ice, and it had nothing to do with their win-loss record. Yep. Donald Sterling almost drove that team into the ground. And... At that point, I mean, the Clippers were kind of forced a choice. They could kind of just let it ride out and just say, well, that's our owner. Or they could completely disassociate themselves from that individual and say, we're going to have a fresh start. And that's exactly what they did. They, you know, the team got put up for sale. Steve Ballmer came in. He changed everything, including the logo. He wanted a completely fresh start. Big facts. A brand new identity. And he it brought is, a mascot. <laughs> we're talking about Chuck the Commodore. He's right up there with flight. I love, no, I love, he, that is a bad mascot. I love the Clippers. <laughs> we don't have to talk about the mascot, though. That's such a bad mascot. I, you have everything, but it's like, whoever, happy. But it's okay. More to the point. <laughs> Never mind. More to the point. Uh, I guess the mascot can't play for basketball, right? Okay. Because, not to sound like that, but they they say that that's a condor, right? The bird? Yeah, check the condor. I want to take Max Crosby to a Clipper game and be like, that's what you want to be? <laughs> like, is that what you want to, is that what you want to continue to say that you are? <laughs> yeah. Shout out uh, to Max Crosby, man. That's funny. But, I mean, it was a very 
trying time um, in the Clipper organization. Um, fans, personnel, everybody included. Um, I mean, hell, I got people hitting my phone like, oh, so you a fan of this team? And I'm like, I mean, what, the biggest thing that's going to be telling is what happens after. And mm. now looking back on it, I think any any Clipper fan would be more than pleased with the outcome that's happened since Steve Ballmer has arrived. And so I think if the Angels can kind of do the same thing here, they first off need to completely disassociate from what was the doctor's name? Oh, the, I don't even know if he's a doctor. His, team, his title was, a, a, first of all, they're categorizing him as a former Angels communications director. He don't even sound no, like but, nobody need to be handing out pills. What? Oh, you got to be kidding. I'm telling you something, bro. You got to Move kidding. the franchise. We're having the communications director. That's like Andy Grossman handing out pills. I slap a pill out of Andy Grossman's hand. I think anybody would. I'd be I'd be like, fam, you don't look like no doctor. Fam. Yeah. With all due respect to Andy, you don't look like a doctor. I don't know where that's from. And I think this that in itself makes this look a whole lot worse. Because it's one thing if it's a team position. It's like, okay, right. it's not great, but at least he's taking the pills from a person that is in the medical field. It's a trusted individual. This is the communications director. Where the hell did the communications director get pills from to start with? And How do I even know that you're a pill expert? And if you are, why are you? Like, now I have... like, Yeah, there's a whole lot of questions there. But... Again, the Angels are a piss poor franchise. If they want to be not so piss poor, the first thing they can do is disassociate from this individual. The next thing they can do is get an, an owner similar to Steve Ballmer that is willing to change everything. I'm with part two. I don't think part one can happen. He, Eric K, he has a body on his hands. Absolutely. That body is not entirely only on his hands. I'm trying not to be too morbid. Like, there's more hands in that. There's blood on his hands for moving the body, so to speak. I consider the blood on the hands from the killing to be on the angel's hands. So, disassociating yourself with Eric K., you know what that does to me? Let's say that you're a drug lord. Your mule that you sent out got caught. That doesn't bother me. That doesn't affect me that you disassociate yourself from your mule. You're supposed to do that. The problem is I know who the kingpin is. So why the hell would I look the other way? Which is even more the reason you, the angels desperately need new ownership. And somebody that's You weird. have former players coming out saying that, yeah, nah, anytime we wanted something, we just had to call. I'm sorry, what? When I say change everything, I mean literally everything with this organization has to change. And it has to change because if, you're, if your ultimate goal as the franchise is, in this case, to earn a lot of the trust of the fans back, you can't do that until you start changing things. You can't do that until you start changing the culture. If it means firing literally everybody in the organization, I was gonna ask you, how do you start a fire for a franchise? Oh, how do you start a fran that? How do you start a fire within a franchise? You fire everybody. 
You say, I, I don't care. You're just, you're guilty by association. Like, because if I need to go pull the Donald Sterling and go to, go to Anaheim and record every conversation, I will. Yeah. <laughs> and then find some wealthy billionaire that's always wanted a baseball team, bring him to the Angels, let him buy the Angels, let him move the Angels wherever he wants to move them to. Don't Jeff Bezos want to own a team? <laughs> I mean, Bezos. Right, Be- I wasn't saying it as a joke. I was serious. I mean, look, the the man's got to deal with bad football anyway. I mean, I know he wants the NFL team, but I know you said you'll settle for Phoenix, but the man, let me explain something to you. The man's looking up. It's like, look, I already got to deal with Thursday night football. Can you imagine if Bezos does buy the Angels and he sees that first check for Mike Trout? He probably is like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 whoa. Who needs this? And, then he turns and what the, does he do for us? And he turns the page, and then you see Shohei. Fam, I, I'm out of this business already. Artie, Art, where's Artie's number? Get, let me see if I can get this sale reversed. Uh, didn't work for Elon Musk. No. Uh, imagine trying to redo. Give me my 44 billion back, and the government comes in. Nah, you got to give them that 44 billion. <laughs> oh man. Imagine that. Call, I don't know imagine, if they're getting that. <laughs> okay, imagine that call to the bank. Hey, I, I need you to reverse that forty-four billion. Do me a favor. The government said I have to pay this, but I'm not paying this. So do me a favor. Hold my forty-four billion. Just put a put a freeze on that. Yeah. Put a freeze on that whole account. No, 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 no. Leave the other account where it is. Just that forty-four billion. Just freeze that one. Yeah. Oh man. Um. <laughs> this is a good time to get to my dad's tipping before we get back to a positive note. Yeah. Um. My dad's tipping says. It looks like multiple investigations of the Washington Commanders owner Dan Snyder has lit a fire to his to his backside. The 57-year-old owner of the Washington Commanders has reportedly told associates that he will not lose his beloved franchise without a fight. I just tweeted today that I'm tired of seeing Kanye West on my phone. You're tired of seeing Dan Snyder on your phone too. Give me two December. Give me till December. He ain't even did much this year. I feel it coming. I feel like he's about to antagonize the hell out of the NFL and dare them to say something about him. You know how somebody, I've said this before, You and, and as men, we should know this, and hopefully I don't get in trouble for saying this on radio, but as a dude, we all know that guy that has the girl that he's been eyeing, and he finally... Does whatever with the girl. Mm-hmm. He can't wait to tell us. Oh, yeah. That headline is for him. He's walking in trying to figure out what y'all do this weekend. What y'all do this weekend. You want to know what I did this weekend? Fam, just tell us. Right. I feel like Dan Snyder is getting ready to start that. You want to know what I got on the NFL? I got those emails from John Groot. Fam, either release them. Don't drag this on for th- two, three months. I don't want to hear about it. If you're not going to tell me by the 20th, I don't care. Dan Snyder, I don't care. Why does this feel like this is going to backfire bad on Dan Snyder? Because he's still going to have to sell his franchise. He's still going to lose. All he's going to do is blow the whistle on the lead. We're going to look at it from the outside looking in and go, see, I knew that wasn't right. And then the league is going to start every August, and Dan Snyder will no longer have the Washington Commanders. And then life will continue. Well, Even the quote-unquote info that he may have on the league, it feels like this is going to be info that we're just going to look at and go, all right, we we knew that already. Tell yeah, they don't like black people. They don't protect against concussions. Tell me something I didn't know already. Like, we know this. Come on now. They blackball cap. We okay, cool. Yeah, we know. Anything <laughs> like, else you got? <laughs> Damn, Dan Snyder, this ain't gonna save you, buddy. Um, he said he won't give up his beloved franchise without a fight. 
And also, it has been reported that he has told members of his inner circle that the dirt that he has accumulated on fellow owners, coaches, executives, and even his own employees. Didn't he hire the employees? I'm sorry. It sounds like a chicken and egg situation. Also, Snyder recently told a close associate that he has gathered enough secrets to blow up several NFL several NFL owners, the league office, and even Commissioner Roger Goodell. I believe him wholeheartedly. TC, you brought up a very good point on one of your other episodes that when Coach Gruden was vilified for his recorded, yep, for his recorded emails. That he is not the first and won't be the last team executive that has said inappropriate things. And I'm sure that much, much worse has been said. It just hasn't been put out there. This may turn out to be very interesting. We all know the rules that <laughs> we all know the rules that snitches get stitches. But if Snyder is forced to lose his franchise, there may be a lot of mud slung at other owners, executives, and even ultimately what they like to call the self-proclaimed quote unquote God of the NFL, Roger Goodell, too. Stay tuned. Um, I am here to say, going back to the Gruden point, as I said before, going, I think one of the things that you were trying to give me credit for in that, that I didn't think you highlighted was John Gruden, as I said before, it was emails, right? I've always said this. John Gruden wasn't talking to himself. It was 22,000 emails or whatever the hell it was. I'm, I'll just do a number out there. It was a, a, a wild number of emails, but they released John Gruden 71. And I have said, I don't even, we don't even need to see all of them, right? I would like to. We don't need to see all of them. Show me the responses to John Gruden's emails. Because we'll know, A, who he was talking to. And we'll know, B, what they said. Why won't they let that out? I don't know. Now I'm just throwing stuff at a wall to see if it'll stick. But maybe you get Carolina's owner flung into the flung into the mix maybe you get green bay's owner we don't have one but you get my point you get green bay's gm like now you have different executives or you're just like damn dog i didn't what happens if you get the jacksonville jaguars to talk crazy about somebody so i think that's what dan snyder has i think dan snyder may have pieces of those emails because dan snyder is also in those emails i was about to say if you remember the gruden email scandal Remember you remember the other name that was associated in that? No. Other organization? More specifically a name. I remember the person he was talking about, but not not anything else. Dan Snyder. The league's sitting on that. Going, okay, go ahead. Look what we got, though. So if you really want to play that game, we got all... Because the league's not dumb. They have the emails. They can see who John Gruden was talking to. They spared John Gruden the the info as far as who he was talking to. That they spared him of. Now, <laughs> they didn't spare him as far as what he said in those emails. At all. Which was damaging enough. But they the NFL was like, you know what, we've done enough damage... Well, at least leave out who the email was to. How do we know that it wasn't to Dan Snyder? And Dan Snyder's not in agreement. I've said it from the jump. I'm pretty sure whoever whoever John Gruden was emailing responded and said, huh, you're right. Even if they said you're right, that's something that they don't want us to know. 
plain and simple. Uh, let's get to some postseason baseball talk before we get up out of here. I'm never pitching a Jordan Alvarez again. Safe? Pretty safe. He's going to be very close to getting a Barry Bonds treatment. And I know what I said about Aaron Judge, but we've seen Aaron Judge go cold in certain big situations. Since this guy has come to the league, I don't think he's ever missed an opportunity to make a big hit. So much for my my, my surprise pick of, of Seattle upsetting Houston. It looks like Houston's going to take care of that one. Houston's up 2-0 in that series. They're the only ones that's up 2-0 in that series. The Yankees could have gone up 2-0 tonight, but they did have a, a game two postponed due to inclement weather. National League looks amazing with both series tied at one apiece. I did not expect the Padres to get one of the first two. But it makes for a lot more interesting uh, division around on both sides. Which series do you want to kind of highlight really quick? I th- I was going to say the Dodgers, but I still something still tells me the Dodgers are going to pull that series out. I think they will. They, I'm, I said it before, they better. I'm pretty sure they got Gonsolin going in game three. He's been pretty good. They just got to get one in San Diego. But who are they up against now? This isn't uh, – is this you, Darvish? No, you just pitched uh, game That's what two. I thought. You was you, you was game two. So it's either Blake Snell or, or Joe Musgrove. It's a low-scoring game probably. Either way. <laughs> probably either way. However, we have seen Gosling get – we've seen him get rocked in moments. So I, I don't think they can afford to have it happen in this one. Obviously – with the series split heading back to San Diego, if the Dodgers lose this next one. I won't say the series is over because baseball is one of, is one of those weird sports like that, but needless to say, the Dodgers cannot afford, let alone fall behind 2-0 or 2-1. I, I don't think they could even let San Diego get to a second game. A second win, I should say. Best of five or best of best seven? Of five. Yeah. I don't even think they can give them because I do think for whatever it's worth, Lakers and the Clippers, if they meet in the postseason, the Clippers can say we have the better team, we have the better coach, we have all these different things. That's great. In the back of your mind, some of you guys are even thinking, damn, that's the Lakers. And I think no matter what, the Padres are still looking across that diamond and saying, damn, those are the Dodgers. If they get a second win in this series, I do believe all those guys that originally came in, hey, we have a chance to win this. It starts to feel a little different when it's nine outs or it's nine innings away, 27 outs away. I said it once and I will say it again. The Dodgers cannot win a championship this year. That's fine. The Dodgers cannot be eliminated by the San Diego Padres. Think the Dodgers get the next two? I don't think the Dodgers lose a series, period. I said what I said about not letting San Diego get two. But if, even if San Diego goes up 2-1, I think the Dodgers win two straight. Do I think that they want to? No. No. Um, but I will say this Philly-Atlanta series is looking like – it's looking like uh, whoever comes out of that other series in the NL, they got to they got, they got to deal with somebody in that NLCS. I don't care who comes out of that series. I'm ready to watch some good baseball, and that's exactly what the Pod, or excuse me, what the Braves and the Phillies are giving us. Uh, you got anything else? I'm good. Let's get out of here a little early tonight, man. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking. <laughs>